0: A baseball mystery that's lasted decades. Who shut off the lights? I'm making it sound super dramatic, but it is an interesting mystery. And then we take a look at the story of the Stoneclad. A race of people that may have lived among the Native Americans. They were 12 feet tall, their skin was hard as stone, and they feasted on human flesh. Did these creatures actually exist? And if they did, where are they now? Today on Dead Rabbit Radio. I'm actually actually, I'm a lot out. Yeehaw! Hey everyone, welcome back to another episode of Dead Rabbit Radio. I'm your host Jason Carpenter. I'm having a great day. Hope you guys are having a great day too. The reason why I'm yeehawing is because we're on Jason's farm. There's like pigs walking around and stuff like that. They work there. They're not the livestock. They're clocking in. There's a bunch of cows getting ready to get milked. I just posted that YouTube video, a lot of people didn't expect it, a lot of people didn't know what it was. It was me working at my friend's farm and also working at my friend's farm. Let's bring in our Patreon supporter for today. It's SqueezeGod, SqueezeGod. We're clapping, we don't see him. We're looking around, we see a pregnant cow. A cow's giving birth to SqueezeGod coming out, he's learning to walk, little legs, little legs, I'll get covered. Why, are you, why am I supporting your Patreon, dude? I'm covered in embiotic fluid. Oh, we're going to clean you off, and we're going to give you a job. You have to immediately have to get to work. You're late. You should have been born five minutes ago. Squeeze God, you're going to be our captain, our pilot this episode. If you guys can't support the Patreon, or if you're not half cow, that's fine, too. Just help spread the word about the show. Really, really helps out a lot. I posted some YouTube videos of me... Holding down a pig as this dude was clipping its nails. I wanted to give you guys some background for that because YouTube videos just kind of popped up and people were <laughs> always like dinner time and people go, what's this? And it's just the sound of this pig screaming. First off, the pig's totally fine. This is a routine thing. Secondly, I want you guys to feel good about these pigos in this farm. These are there's four pigs here. Joy, the one we are clipping the nails of. She's 15 years old, and she and all of her other pig friends there actually came from research laboratories. They actually were rescues. So basically, after the research was done, after they taught them telepathic powers, and they were floating around the room, they're like, we must destroy these pigs. My friend, every so often she rescues two pigs from this local research facility. She, she, she doesn't like break in the window. They're like, no, the rescue pig bandits back. She has an agreement with them that um, they they let her take the pigs home. And it's really cool, actually. She found out that at this research facility... I don't know exactly which one it is, so I'm not going to say. It's like Cyberdyne. <laughs> it's like Cyberdyne or Wayland Utani or something like that. No, it's a local facility here. But they, they treat them really nice. Like, they are doing experiments on them, and they know they're going to have to kill them after the experiment's over. But they have, like, enrichment hours, and they get special toys, and they get, like, red books the <laughs> freedom, the wind in the willows the pigs are like i don't understand this i don't know english but it's the thought that counts so yeah joy she's 15 years old and then there was waylon in the video he's maybe like 10 years old he's 500 pounds so go check out that video on youtube i think it's really cool it's it's basically me holding a pig dance close up of a pig's back in my hands going it's okay joy it's okay as i'm rubbing her little bristles and she's screaming but immediately she was in no pain whatsoever it was fear it's okay right you can be in fear it wasn't me immediately afterwards she just laid down took a nap so she's totally fine and she is walking she wasn't walking before we we're like jason this is an agricultural podcast just get to the ghost. get to the ghost. i just want to say that she's doing totally fine all the other pigos are doing fine chickens and goats and everything like that look at squeeze god squeeze god is now milking himself that came out wrong Everything at this farm is fine, but check out those videos. I think you guys will have a ball. That was a really long introduction, but I thought it was an important part of the dead rabbit mythos. Me at a farm. Squeeze God. Let's toss you the keys to the dead rabbit Dirgeble. We're leaving behind Jason Farms. We are headed out to Baltimore, Maryland. Specifically, we're going to Camden Yards. That's where the Baltimore Orioles play. Dude is on a pitcher's mound, and he's like throwing the ball, and the guy's all sweaty. There's just a big sweaty guy at home base, and he swings that bat, crack, and hits it. And then the ball sails away, and the first baseman is trying to grab it. He's leaving the base. They're like, no, no, that's for the outfielders. And then he bumps into a bunch of outfielders, and it ends up on the highlight reel, and he loses his job. Typical day at a baseball stadium. People are constantly getting fired for leaving their stations. We're back in the year 1997. The reason why we're here is infielder Cal Ripken Jr. is about to set the record for the most played consecutive baseball games. Originally, Lou Gehrig set it in 1939. That record existed from 1939, the most played games in a row, until September 6, 1995. That was when Cal Ripken beat the record. So now we're in the year 1997. It's August 14th, 1997. And he is still just blowing this record out of the park. August 14th, 1997, the Orioles and the Seattle Mariners are facing off in Oriole Park. Everything's ready to go. Someone brought the ball. They forgot that the last game. They're like, oh no, we can't play baseball without a ball. Everyone had to go home. They brought the ball this time. Everyone has their bats ready. And just before 7 p.m. when the game's about to begin, a bank of lights behind the first base dugout goes out. So they go and they fix it and the umpire goes, play ball! And everyone's like, yeah, yeah, that's what we came here for. The bank of lights goes out again behind the first base dugout. So let's fix it. Fixing it. Play ball! Bengal of Lights goes back off. This goes on from 7 p.m. till around 9. Every time they fix the lights and they turn it back on, a circuit breaker is thrown, and it kills the lights again. At 9.15 p.m., finally the ref comes out, and it's doing all the hand motions and stuff like that. He's throwing up gang signs. Rival gangs are driving by, shooting him. He's doing all the hand signs. Game is off. We can't play the game without these lights. We probably could have started it back at 7 p.m. when the sun was slightly still up, but now no go. Also, bloods for life. So calling this game actually puts the Orioles at a disadvantage because that means tomorrow they'll have to play a doubleheader. They'll have to play two games in a row because you have to stay on schedule with this thing. But what are you going to do? You can't play without this bank of lights. So there's a conspiracy involving this. There's a conspiracy involving why the lights kept going out. So let's go back to earlier in the afternoon of August 14th, 1997. Cal Ripken Jr. is getting ready for the night's game. He's driving home. He just got done playing a game for the Chicago Bulls. He's playing the most games ever in a row. They didn't know that. Not just baseball. He pulls up to his house, and he's walking up, and he hears a... He's like, hmm. It could be one of two things. It could be a very excited mouse, or it could be the sound of an old-timey mattress squeaking. That's weird, because I have a Tempur-Pedic, but still and he opens the door and he's walking through the house he's walking through the house super slow because he wants the tension to build as he's making his way and he hears the, he's starting to put stuff together he knows that that is the sound of a mattress moving and the mattress mover's are not supposed to be here until tomorrow so it sounds like someone's having sex and it's not him But he's in his house. He's not the smartest guy in the world. He's like, uh, what's going on? Someone's having sex, but it's not me. His wife is at home. And so is his best friend, Kevin Costner. And he opens the bedroom door and there is Kevin Costner straight up delivering the mail like the postman to her water world. was about time he pulled out his tin cup. I don't know. Those the only movies I know of Kevin Costner. He made her dance like wolves. Right, that's it. Uh, what else was he in? Doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. Doesn't have anything to do with the story. He's banging Cal Ripkin's wife, and Cal Ripkin beats up Kevin Costner. Kevin Costner's like, no, no, I got a movie tomorrow. Doesn't matter. Punch, punch, punch. Cal Ripkin's punching him. Kevin Costner is crawling out of the house. I'll show you a tin cup. He <laughs> just happen to have a tin cup. He picks up a tin cup. He's throwing it at Kevin Costner. Anyways, the point is, is that Cal Ripken beat up Kevin Costner, and then he called up his coach and goes, "I can't play tonight." Coach is like, "Why not? We need you in the game and your world record. We don't want it to break. Like, sure, you've beaten Lou Gehrig, but we want to make the record even longer. We want to make it even longer." And Cal Ripken's like, "I can't." Listen, to what happened? I came home, squeaky bed, Kevin Costner, tin cup, and the coach is like, "Say no more. Say no more." I, can't, I can pick out just those phrases. The visual is in my mind. Coach goes, tell you what, I'll take care of it. And so later that night, the lights wouldn't work. The game was called. And he played a doubleheader. Cal Ripken Jr. played a doubleheader the next day. His record stayed intact. He actually ended up playing a total of 2,632 games in a row. Lou Gehrig's record was only 2,131 games. So he just blew it out of the water. That's the conspiracy theory. And it's a really interesting one, except for the fact it's 100% not true at all. This is... I, I actually really love this conspiracy theory. Because back then, and probably still today, but I remember as a kid, Kevin Costner had a huge reputation as being a womanizer. He's constantly sleeping around. So he's the perfect foil for this story. And... Cal Ripken and Kevin Costner were friends. And there are photos of Kevin Costner and Cal Ripken's wife. And Cal Ripken and his wife had some marital difficulties around that time. So you have all the elements of this. There's a key problem with this story. Cal Ripken was at that game. Cal Ripken was 100% at that game this story is huge this isn't some weird conspiracy theory that's floating out there where it? Is? well it is but this is addressed in like sports media Cal Ripken was there he goes I he's done interviews about it he goes I was at that game he goes there's footage of me coming out of the dugout and looking at the lights he goes, I was there. I was trying to help figure it out as well. I was, he was the main guy. He's the main electrician. He puts away his bat and ball, grabs his electrician belt. He's like, I'll take care of this. He's there. He's on footage of being there at that game. Now, you could say, Jason, maybe he did show up, but he also beat up Kevin Costner. And then he just showed up a little bit late may maybe but doubtful it's not going to be one of those things where you're going to say i boss i can't come into work but i can come and just sit there in case anyone starts a rumor later on i'll sit there and be really sad in the dugout like that doesn't work like the idea was is that he couldn't leave his wife he was so heartbroken he just had to stay there and process everything not oh i'll just go there and sit in the dugout he was and the story was he didn't show up at all. There's video footage of him there, but this rumor, even though we have physical evidence that this story is not real, this rumor is so pervasive. In 2001, in June of 2001, Fox Sports Radio told this story. They reported it. It was a couple of years later. They're like, "Hey Barry, did you hear about that thing with Kevin Costner banging Cal Ripken's wife?" No, Joe. What happened? Well, he gave her the old. He gave her the old postman into her water world. And they're like, no, 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 no. Sound effects, it's only a step, it's only a step down from what I do. They just have better sound effect board. Kevin Costner called him up the next day and threatened to decapitate both of them. He threatened to take their heads off. Kevin Costner, star of four movies, only, only four, he threatened to chop their heads off. So it's definitely a really touchy subject. I mean, so if, if you find my body... If you go to Jason Farms, my body's being devoured by the hogs and my head is missing, don't assume the hogs ate my head. Assume that Kevin Costner has it on a mantle somewhere and he's sitting there drinking wine, (laughs) drinking wine out of a tin cup. Rene Russo, dressed all sexy, standing next to him, and he goes, that's what you get for spreading the rumor, Jason Carpenter. That's what you get. (laughs) That's him drinking wine. He makes that noise. He has a little sippy cup, but it's made of tin. You know who else likes taking off heads? Wonder Woman. I don't know if she does, but she has a sword. Superman got killed. He got stabbed. Ugh! And then the earth was like, "Oh, they cried They all made a big baby. They made a big baby noise at the same time." Oh, and Across the universe, a bad guy goes, yes, now is my time. That guy's name is Darkseid, and him, along with Granny Goodness, are headed to Earth to destroy us all. It's up to the Justice League to fight back. That's Batman, and uh, Wonder Woman shows up. She's chopping people's heads off, and then the Flash and Aquaman, and then maybe some other dudes show up, and then Darkseid shows up, and he has his arms crossed, and he's shaking his head. And he goes, "Uh -uh uh-uh-uh, this is my planet now. Is it? Find out on (laughs) March 18th. People are like, I'm not watching this movie because of these ridiculous promos. March 18th, available only on HBO Max. Watch Zack Snyder's Justice League. Rated R. I can't wait to watch this movie. I can't wait to watch this movie. I'm really excited for it. I've been excited for it for years. I'm a huge Zack Snyder fan. I'm I already have my little score sheet. <laughs> How many heads does Wonder Woman chop off? It's rated R, so maybe it's a lot. But I'm super excited for it. I hope you guys watch it as well. Justice Jack, Zack Snyder is very important. Is Zack Snyder's Justice League. I actually watched the first one in the theater. It was decent. It wasn't great. It was better than Endgame. Squeeze God, let's go ahead and leave behind Baltimore, Maryland. We are headed out to New York. And, squeeze God, as we're flying out there, I want you to go ahead and hit that time travel button. We're traveling back in time to the time when the indigenous people of the continent ruled the land. <laughs> and when we're in the area that will become New York, we're hanging out and we start to hear stories of the stone coats. Or the stone clad. Different tribes have different names for them. But what they were, were they were 12-foot-tall warriors with skin made of stone. Some of the stories actually say they were simply wearing armor, but it, was this, it doesn't matter if you're trying to kill this guy with a bow. If you're trying to shoot arrows at this guy and they're bouncing off of him as he's getting ready to club you in the brain, you're like, hmm, the distinction between why these arrows aren't working is very, very important. You no, know, he's just bashing your head in. No human weapons work against these creatures. They live in cold areas and they love to eat human flesh. Now, as you moved farther north, these guys started to be known as Wendigos. And just like the Wendigo legend, some people believed that the stone-clad were humans who had committed evil acts, namely cannibalism, and turned into these monsters. It's not really a punishment, right? Someone's like, don't eat human flesh or you'll turn into a 12-foot, impossible-to-kill man. You're like, what? I'm totally... I'm going to eat all the flesh now. I'm going to eat your flesh just because you told me that story. No, it's not a punishment. The Iroquois, that's kind of the version the Iroquois have of them, are just these giant warriors. The Cherokee natives also had a version of them, pretty much the same thing. You could only defeat them, though. These guys actually had a named weakness. You could defeat them by stealing their powers or exposing them to a menstruating woman. So just bring a bunch of those along. <laughs> just have a bunch of them, and then you can eat them afterwards and become a monster yourself. We covered a st- I don't remember which story it was. We covered a story not too long ago where like, the menstruating woman, the monsters try to raiding the indigenous people's tribe, and then they just put a bunch of menstruating women by the river, and the monster's like, oh, no way. We're headed over this way. We're headed to the tribe where all the dudes hang out. We're going to eat them. So there, that's not only in this legend, but we do see that uh, menstrual, I bet you didn't know that, you learn something every single day, menstrual fluid can be used as a weapon against a particular species, so always carry some with you, carry a little jar of it. The Seneca tribe has a legend about what happens when a human actually encounters a stoneclad So, Squeeze, after that little introduction, land this carpenter copter. We are on the outskirts of a tribe in ancient America. There was a young man standing there with his wife, and he's getting his weapons ready to go. He is a hunter like everyone else in his tribe. We're going to call him Joey. And he's standing there, and he goes, you know, it's really cool hunting with you guys and stuff like that, but I kind of want (laughs) to eat. He's super skinny. He's like, I kind of want to eat. The problem is is we are all hunting the same thing. And sure we get to like share elk and moose and whatever else we're shooting, but I want to eat more and I want to get really good game and I want to be a better hunter. So I'm actually gonna head up north and I'm gonna go hunt there. And people are like, dude, you can't do that. The reason why we hunt in this area and not up north is because that is where the stoneclads live. And he goes, Yeah, I hear all this stuff about the stoneclads, and I believe they exist, but think about it, they only eat humans, right? Everyone's like, yeah, that's why we don't go up there. He's like, but follow me on this. If they only eat humans and there's no humans living up there, the game must be dope, dude. There must be like giant elk. Hopefully they're not made of rock too. But you know, there'd be like lots of deer. No one's hunting these things. So I'm going to go up there. People are like, dude, that's the stupidest plan. He goes, you will see. You guys will see. He gets his wife we'll call her monica he's like monica i want you to come with me he goes are you menstruating she's like i do it once a month and he's like good we'll plan it for that month just in case so they head up north they make camp he goes to hunt and he was right the game is amazing he has all these dead elk he's shooting moose he didn't he's shooting animals he didn't even know existed. he's shooting komodo dragons and pterodactyls no one else hunts up here but his wife's back at camp and his wife is just hanging out and a stone woman shows up. So she bounces. She's out of there and she goes down river and she tells her husband, hey, remember that whole thing about you saying you could totally kill these uh, giant monsters that eat humans? And the dude's like, yeah, it's shift from side to side. He's like, oh, I really didn't think those guys existed. She's like, one of them just showed up in my camp. So we got to do something about these things. I get it. We're going to f- eat like kings out here, but they may eat us. So Joey sits there and he sharpens his hatchet, sharpens his knife, and he sharpens his wit. He's just reading reading detective novels. He's like, oh, Sherlock Holmes. Because he knows to fight these guys, he's going to have to outthink them. He sets a big bonfire. He wants to draw attention to himself. He's basically puffing his chest up. He puts on a puppet show. He puts on a puppet show with a bunch of dead elk. Hey, everybody, I heard the Stoneclad suck. Oh, yeah, they're totally lame. And throughout this whole production, it's like a trilogy. He does this full on director's cut. He has the extended director's cut of how much the Stoneclad suck in the musical. Eventually, a Stoneclad is standing across the river and he's like, uh uh uh, we don't suck, you suck. Well, we do suck when we suck the marrow out of your bones because I'm a giant cannibal. And Joey goes, hey, okay, come over here, bro. Let's fight. So according to this legend, I love this part. According to this legend, the stone-clad warrior is looking around. There's a big river separating him and Joey. The stone-clad warrior starts to walk into the water, and Joey's like, oh, crap. I I was hoping, I knew he didn't have a boat. I was hoping he'd be like, I'll be back in three days as I walk around the river. No, he's a giant, and he's apparently able to breathe underwater. He starts walking into the river until eventually the water covers his head. And Joey's like, uh... But then he had sharpened his wit, and he remembered that a tree had fallen down across the river. That's a big tree, (laughs) or maybe it's a small river, I don't know. He runs down to the tree, crosses the tree bridge, and then runs along the other side of the river. And as the stoneclad ugh, comes out of the river, now Joey's standing on the opposite side and he goes, Dude, did you get turned around underneath there? And the stoneclad's like, What? What are you looking at? He's seeing a smoldering fire pit. He sees all these elk puppets. But he turns around and Joey's on the other side of the river. And Joey's like, Dude, you got turned around. Like, I thought you were gonna fight me. Are you scared? Ugh. The stone giant turns, walks under the river. And right when his head goes into the river, Joey <laughs> runs back to the tree, crosses again, and then standing back by the time the stoneclad gets to the other side of the river. So now Joey's back on his original side. He's like, dude, come on, man. What is going on down there? Is there like a whirly pool? Are there a bunch of mermaids, a bunch of sirens tricking you? What? Yeah, dude, I'm right here. This go, according to legend, this would what happened several times. The guy kept trying to cross the river. Joey just ran to the opposite side. This happened multiple times. Then eventually, according to this legend, Joey goes, okay, I'm bored of this. Like, this was super funny, but it's really not a tactic. Like, eventually, I'm going to get tired or I'm going to fall off the bridge and I'm floating down the river and he's just going to grab me. At this point... Stone Coat walks out and Joey's standing there. And Joey's like, finally. Stone Coat's ready to smash this dude's head in a putty. And Joey's holding up his hatchet. And he's kind of like making it look super mysterious. He has like a silk blanket over it. He's like, what's under here? Dance of the Seven Veils. To the point that the Stone Coat goes, I've never seen one of those. What is that? Can I see that? And he goes, oh, this is a hatchet. And he hands it to the Stone Clad. And the Stone Clad takes the hatchet. And he runs his finger along the blade. And he goes, hmm, Interesting. We don't need these, we just rip people's heads open with our teeth and hands. I haven't seen something like this. And as he's running his finger along the edge of the hatchet, he's actually sharpening it. He hands the hatchet back to Joey and he goes, show me what you can do with this. Joey takes the hatchet and swings it and smashes it into rock. The rock splits in half. The stone Cold goes, oh, <laughs> that's what I'm made out of um that rock is what i made out of maybe you humans can kill us we've eaten a bunch of you over the decades but this is weird we've never seen anyone smash a rock open tell you what tell you what i'm gonna go home and i'm gonna tell my people to stay away from you and you can hunt this elk and you don't have to worry about us eating you and joey goes that sounds like a great idea that sounds like a (laughs) good compromise that's just joey getting whatever he wants and then the stone coat goes, uh, how do I get back home? And then Joey tricks him a hundred more times underwater. No, he just lets stone clad walk under the river and go back home. And for a while, everything is fine. They don't go back to the tribe. They're just enjoying all this hunting. They're all just, everything is just meat. Everything is just super yummy. They're devouring the entire forest. And then one day a stone woman shows up at the camp and she's like, oh... She sounds just like the dude. She sounds exactly like the dude. The stone woman goes, Joey, Joey of the forest. I have heard tales of your bravery. I heard about that one time you smashed a rock. I need your help. Joey goes, okay, what's going on? She goes, listen, me and my husband are having a fight right now. And eventually we're going to murder each other. And Joey's like, what? That's a horrible story. And she's like, I know it's quite terrible, but I'm also very lucky. He's like, it doesn't sound very lucky if you're about to get murdered. And she's like, no, 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 I will bring you luck. I bring myself bad luck. But if you hang out with me, you'll get even more game. You'll get even more deer than you could possibly ever eat. But when my husband shows up to murder me, you must help me. He goes, that's fine. I'll totally do that. He's afraid of hatchets, right? And she's like, he doesn't know what a hatchet is. But for a time, she's hanging out with him in the woods. And even more deer, even more... What are they doing with all this meat? I guess they were probably turning it into jerky. They have to invent the canning industry just to be able to put all this stuff in tin cups. (laughs) Kevin Costner is like, hey, everybody. This episode's gone on way too long. (laughs) I'm starting to lose my mind. He's hunting with the stone-clad woman. Even more animals are showing up. He's getting the most game. But one day, everyone's sitting back at the base camp. Base camp is now... Just beef jerky everywhere. And they see the stone-clad man, her husband, moving through the forest. And she goes, this is it. This is it. Now is the time for you to help me in this fight. Now I'm going to give you a little hint on how to kill us. Which is good. Because even though he was able to pull that trick with that axe, could that axe have actually killed the stone-clad? She goes, we have a weakness. It's being poked with fire. Being poked with a sharp, fiery stick. So we're going to fight. And if I kill him, that's totally dope. We'll have a celebratory dinner. I'll eat Monica and we'll <laughs> sneak away together. And he's like, I don't know about that. And she goes, okay. She goes, if I kill him, then I'll leave and your debt is repaid. But if he is about to kill me, if I'm like on the ground and he's standing over me, take a firebrand, take a hot stick, take a hot stick out of the fire and jab it into his abdomen. It'll actually go right through our stone armor and drop him on the spot. And eventually his stone-clad husband gets there. And he looks at his wife. And his wife looks at the husband. And the husband looks at Joey. Joey looks at a squirrel walking by. He's like, oh, I'm supposed to pay attention to this fight. The stone-clad woman and her husband both tear trees out of the ground and just start swinging them. oh, oh, Just smashing them into each other. Just hitting each other with these giant trees. Monica's bounced. <laughs> Monica's gone. She's like, I'm gonna watch this from this cliff. And Joey's standing there. And unfortunately the stone-clad man really starts to get some blows into this stone-clad wife. And she falls to the ground, and her log rolls into the river. No! And the husband stands over with this tree, ready to bring it down upon her. And Joey grabs the firebrand out of the pit, and drives it into the stone-clad man. Oh! Stone-clad man dies. You think that would be the end of the legend, right? I mean, I don't know what the moral of that story is. It's a bunch of weird, conflicting things. But that's not the end of it. The woman pushes her dead husband away. And she goes, perfect. Thank you. Do you have anything to eat? That took a lot of energy. Do you have anything to eat? And luckily, Monica's gone. And, and the stoneclad woman goes, I'll go find someone else. But thank you so much for saving my life. And you got one more mission, Joey. Remember when you showed up and you smashed the rock and everyone left? He's like, yeah, I do remember that. She goes, when everyone left, one of our people left their kid here. You need to raise him. He's like, what? That wasn't part of the agreement? You are going to help me hunt? I was going to kill your husband? Now, now I'm a dad? Now I'm a dad of a giant cannibal? She goes, you got to do it because you're the one who pushed us out of the area in the first place. And he's like, yeah, that kind of makes sense. And so she said he's up on a cliff. He's like, What? How old is this kid? Is <laughs> like 18 years old? Like, who leaves a kid on a cliff? Eventually, Joey and Monica meet back up and they go through the woods to this cliff. And a kid, like I imagine him, like the rock biter, like the little baby from Neverending Story 3, is swinging on a swing between two trees on the edge of a cliff. Whee! And this kid's giant. I mean, sure, he's not the full 12 feet, but he's this giant guy. So Joey goes, okay, the only way I can get him down, and this is going to be super dangerous, but not for me. It's going to be super dangerous for him. I'm going to chop the trees down that he's swinging from, and then he'll just kind of fall to the ground. It is on the edge of a cliff, so it's pretty dicey, but what else is he going to do? So Joey chop, 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 chops the trees down, and they say the boy actually, like, swings... Like he's swinging, right? He's on a swing. And then he goes, "Wee!" <laughs> and he just swings down. He's still doing the back and forth motion like he's on a swing, but he's, like, hovering, almost like a leaf, falling. And they said he's singing the whole time, and then finally he gets to the bottom of the cliff, and he's like, ah. Uh. <laughs> Joey's like, dang it, now i got to climb down this cliff. They take the boy back to the village. At this point, he's like, I can't raise this kid by myself. And like they always say, it takes a village. He just does want to raise the kid. He's hoping someone else will adopt it. He takes the kid back to the village. He shows back up with all of this meat, all of this fur. And everyone's like, dude, everyone's clapping. Everyone's giving him a round of applause. Everyone's like, he did it. Everyone's like, oh, we didn't think you could do it. Everyone shows up. Kevin Costner's ghost is standing there. His blue ghost is like giving him a thumbs up. And Joey gives him a thumbs up as well. And the ghost fades away. This was a successful mission. The problem is, is that he brought a giant cannibal baby back to the tribe and the baby's like me want to play me want to play and he's playing with the other kids and he's instantly killing them he's like that's my baba the dude gets his arms ripped off let's play tag i'm it and he's like touching people in the back and their spines were disintegrating he was so strong they said every kid he played with died on the spot and all he wanted to do was play let's play hide and seek he's pulling their eyes out okay <laughs> he's not jigsaw he doesn't know he's not like trying to come up with ironic punishments he's not doing that but eventually joey's like okay i came back as a hero but this is quickly turning me into the villain of my tribe he sends message back for the stoneclad woman who he saved and he goes dude you gotta pick your kid up he's murdering everyone in my tribe Eventually, the stone-clad woman shows up and picks the kid up, and the baby's like, me see you later, daddy. And the daddy's like, sure, baby. They didn't even bother to name it. Sure, baby, we'll see you soon. And once the baby leaves, they're like, move, move the tribe, move the tribe, let's go, let's go. That's one of the stories about the stone-clad, a race of people who were impenetrable to weapons and ate human flesh. I think it's an interesting story. There's really no moral to it. Don't bring strange kids home help women in need, help them murder their husbands? What would be another moral? Oh, if someone ever tells you don't go in that area, it's super dangerous, go there anyways, you'll probably kill a bunch of animals. You're showing up at the zoo with a rifle. They're like, sir, don't go in there. That lion cage is super dangerous. You're like, I know, I heard this story on Dead Rabbit Radio. They're like, no! Polar bear's sneaking up behind you. It's somehow gone to the lion cage first. But I think this episode is interesting for another reason. We're going to wrap it up like this. We're running a little long. On yesterday's episode I talked about, this se- might seem like a leap of logic, but stay with me. Yesterday's episode I talked about an alien spaceship crashing and the survivor living on his own and, and trying to complete his m- mission of scientific experimentation using old-timey tools, which I thought was a really creepy visual. But I, when I was saying that, I actually already had the ending for this episode in mind. That was kind of an improv ending I came up with on the spot, but this episode I kind of went in when I was prepping it with this ending. So it's a little similar, but... It's interesting, nonetheless, I think this idea that we have of ancient aliens, when you look at stories of aliens coming down and helping humanity, build pyramids, build Nazca lines and stuff like that, a lot of that stuff's been debunked, but I'll put a really cool YouTube video in the show notes you guys can check out if you want more information on that. But, but even if you're not looking at the big stuff like Nazca lines or the pyramids or Goblet Tepke or, or any of those things, The idea of ancient aliens coming down and interacting with humans, it's always this idea of these gods in their spacecraft. They come down, they help us out, genetically engineer us, whatever they're doing, and then they leave. Or they still visit Earth, whatever version of the story you're looking at. But what would be more likely is a single ship, not an entire culture, a single ship crash landing on Earth. And those survivors would crawl out of that ship And go, there's no way we're getting off this planet. Like, this was our interstellar vehicle. It's completely demolished. We need to make the best of it. And we have human parallels of that on this planet. Shipwrecks. People crashed on a deserted island and they go, we're not going to get rescued. Let's start setting up a society. Let's Robinson Crusoe this. Let's do this. So you don't have these wonders of technology. You don't have... These backup ships that can come. You don't have these anti-grav rays that can build these giant structures. You just have 30 people from another planet who are crashed on this earth. And they have the technology they can salvage out of their ship. Which would be things like their suits. So they have body armor that are impenetrable to human weapons. We actually covered a story not too long ago about a bunch of Russian soldiers... They find an island, they go into this base, and they massacred all the greys. There was a bunch of giants working at these control panels, and the bullets were just bouncing off of them. I'll put that in the show notes. So you have that. The fact that they're locked into a particular region, they're always in cold areas, could be that this particular race of aliens needs to be in cold areas. It's interesting because we have all these different tribes in the same region have these stories of cannibalistic giants. My theory is with this story is that a ship crash-landed in the northeastern United States, and they're trying to rebuild their society. Now, were they eating humans? Was that actually a component of it? Maybe. I don't know. I don't know if you, what, you listen to this podcast or the questions. The story is that they eat people, so maybe they did. Maybe this race of aliens just love to eat people. But I think it's an interesting story, because when we hear about these tribes that seemed to be completely outside all of human evolution, seemed to be completely outside all of the other groups in the area. It could be a myth. It could be a group of warriors where they happened to be six feet tall, and the legend grew and grew until they became 12 feet tall, and they used to wear some different type of armor, and people turned the legend into them having impenetrable skin. That's possible, too. That's the most likely scenario. But I like the idea of a ship crash-landing castaways, on our planet. And they do their best to survive. They move away from human population centers. And when humans do come in the area. They see them as a threat. They kill them on the spot. But they do their best to try to not be a part of our world. So while ancient astronaut theorists believe that aliens would be viewed as gods. Coming down from the sky in their vehicles. Helping humanity on its journey. It could be the opposite. It could be a single crashed ship. And the survivors were considered monsters that you had to stay away from. Underneath thousands of years of soil somewhere in the northeastern United States may be the wreckage of a ship. Its power cells long depleted. It's been invaded by roots and worms. And it sits there silent in the dark. It was built for interstellar travel It crashed on the planet Earth and its survivors lasted as long as they could until they also eventually perished and ended up under the soil. All that remains of their story is a legend that the tribes in the area would tell each other of impossibly hard-to-kill monsters that stalked the woods. Instead, it was a small group of castaways who would often look up at the night sky and think of home. Radio at gmail.com is gonna be our email address. You can also hit us up at facebook.com slash radio. Twitter is at Deadrabbitradio. radio. Dead Rabbit Radio is the daily paranormal conspiracy and true crime podcast. You don't have to listen to it every day. I'm glad you listened to it today. Have a great one, guys.